Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome back to another episode of What the Bump. Today, we are having Natasha on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Natasha. Yeah, thank you for having me. So starting off, tell me just a little bit about yourself and your family. I live in California, and so does my partner. We're both from California. He's from Northern Cali, and I'm from Southern. And um, I was working in construction when I got pregnant. And I also make indigenous beadwork. Um, and he works in production. He works with countertops. Okay. And and marble and shower walls and things like that. But we actually met in Oregon. We were both part of an organization that works with people that are in prison and getting out of prison um, and helping uh, work with them in transitioning to life outside of prison. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So this pregnancy, was it your first baby? Yes. Okay. First baby. Gotcha. And tell me about finding out you're pregnant. Were you guys trying or was it kind of a surprise? It was somewhat of a surprise. We weren't really not trying, (laughs) but it just happened uh, first try. Uh, We were, yeah, we were lucky. It was was a nice surprise. (laughs) That's awesome. And how was your pregnancy? How were you feeling? Did you have kind of like the typical morning sickness, exhaustion? Yes, I did. Um, It didn't hit me until around maybe week 11 but it hit me pretty hard and I was working construction and it was starting to get really hot outside in California. So it was a challenge. I would just, I remember wanting to drink ice cold lemonade at like six in the morning and yeah, I was pretty nauseous. I kind of had cravings right in the beginning. I wanted a lot of fruit and like I said, lemonade. And for some reason I wanted nacho cheese (laughs) and my partner would go out looking for it. I had some bleeding going on, which will lead into the rest of my story. Okay. Gotcha. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely craved a lot of cheese, not nacho cheese. That's like very specific (laughs) Um, nacho cheese and lemonade. That's funny. I just like craved like general cheese and definitely fruit. Yes. So yeah, the fruit bowls, fruit bowls. Yeah. That, that, that even sounds good. Not pregnant. So (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I know you said that you had a little bit of bleeding, which you're going to get into later on, um, but leading into kind of like going into labor and your labor story, did you have any like birth visions or um, birth preferences or were you kind of just going to go with the flow? Honestly, my dream birth would have been um, in a, in water, in a pool of some sort. Um, I would love to have had a home birth and have a doula and everything, but I couldn't afford that. So I just went, you know, with the hospital birth plan. As your pregnancy progressed, fill us in on, you know, the little bit of bleeding you said that you had, and then just um, going into labor and your labor story. So I was at work and we were doing a cement pour and I think I went a little too hard. (laughs) I went to the bathroom and I, I had a lot of bleeding. So how many weeks, how many weeks were you? Let's see. I was, I think I was 14 weeks. 
I know that it's normal to spot a little bit, but um, it was definitely not just spotting. And I told my partner, went home and I spoke with someone at the doctor's office and they said if it continued to go to the ER, which it did. So we were there for a really long time and uh, they, they couldn't quite figure out exactly what it was. They, they said that it might have, it might be bleeding be, behind the placenta. Um, and he basically said that there's a chance I could have a miscarriage. So it was really, it was really scary because I had that in my mind, my whole pregnancy really. So Everything. you had the, the bleeding at 14 weeks and then did it end up like resolving or did it like keep on going throughout the rest of your pregnancy? Um, it did keep going for a few more weeks and then it stopped. So how was the rest of your pregnancy then after that? It was pretty good. I was, I was loving it. I was enjoying it after I went past the phase of nausea and I had to stop working because it was too physically demanding. So I was just trying to enjoy my pregnancy and feel all the kicks and, and read and prepare. I, I started cleaning the whole apartment and planning really early. It's like something in me knew that my baby was coming early. Going off of that, then how did you go into labor? When did you go into labor? Cause I know you said early, um, when <laughs> did you go into labor and what was that like? How did that happen? So, um, I actually lost my mucus plug. Um, what week was this? It was, I can't remember the exact week, but, um, it was like two, two and a half months and a week before I had the baby before term. Sorry. I went to the doctor's office, but I live in a really small town and they said that there was no doctor available to see me and they were under a new contract. So, um, backtrack a little bit. I did have another plan, a health plan. But once I lost my job, I had to switch everything, which was very stressful. And the health plan that I switched to, that office was under a new contract. So all of the doctors were leaving. So the doctor that I met, she said that I wouldn't see her again, and it would be another doctor and then another doctor after that, at that point, which would be my labor doctor. So it was, I didn't see a doctor pretty much for three months or have an ultrasound or anything. So I was really nervous the whole time knowing that I had something going on. What turned out to be was a huge fibroid. It was nine centimeters and it was attached to my uterus, but they said that it was in a spot that wouldn't affect the baby. Gotcha. So I knew all of that, but I didn't know if something was going on within those three months. So it was just really scary times. Um, They also had mentioned that my baby might have spina bifida and I had to go check that out and everything was fine. Why did they think that the baby might've had spina bifida? um, Because my alpha fetal protein was high. Gotcha. Yeah. So I think it was just a lot of mixed, mixed answers that we were getting, which made the pregnancy very scary. And at the point, or at the time that we went to switch my healthcare and everything, that's when my mucus plug came out. So I didn't have an exact doctor. 
So I saw a nurse and I showed her a picture and I said, I think that's my mucus plug. And I'm also getting pain in my right upper abdomen. And I'm not sure what it is. It definitely isn't heartburn. And so the nurse said that it wasn't my mucus plug and that um, it was just regular discharge. But something in me was telling me it, that wasn't true. So I ended up going to the ER right after that. And they did an ultrasound on my abdomen. Um, I told them the same thing about my mucus plug, but they said that it was all normal and there's nothing to worry about. And I said, um, I have a baby shower coming up next week in Southern California, which is like seven hours away from us driving. And they gave me the go ahead that everything was fine. Um, so that was that. And I went home and I didn't notice, I didn't have any contractions or anything. So I thought I was okay. And then, so we went ahead and went to our baby shower. And on our drive there, I had more, um, hopefully this isn't TMI, but I had more discharge that looked like a mucus plug come out. So I was getting a little nervous. And, um, a couple of days before the baby shower, we were here, we were helping my family prep and I started getting a pain in my lower back. And I mentioned it to my family and they said, we were just trying to figure out what it was, but I was hoping it wasn't contractions. And so they were massaging me and I was trying to just stay calm. And we had an amazing baby shower um and we were dancing and right when I was dancing I was like okay that's I'm done for the night and I also noticed during those couple days that I, I I couldn't feel any kicks from my baby so I was pretty nervous and I thought maybe just traveling and all the noise was different for him so he was being shy and then um the next morning I woke up in a lot of pain it felt like period cramps and it just like progressed really quickly. And I told my mom, I think I need to go to the hospital right now. And I called my partner and it just boom, like really fast turned into really intense contractions. So he and drove me to the hospital. How many weeks were you when that happened? When you actually like felt like you were going into labor? I was 29 weeks. Oh, wow. It's crazy how, you know, throughout your whole story, like you knew that something was happening and you, like mm -hmm. you said, like you left when the, even when the nurse told you it was just normal, you were like left and went to the ER and kept kind of like digging for answers and feeling super uncertain. And it's just crazy how like our bodies really do know. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, I felt like every doctor that I spoke to or nurse just kept telling me everything was normal. But I just, I couldn't accept that. I was just really nervous the whole pregnancy. And, and yeah, I just, it's, it's like, you just know. Right. So you headed to the hospital and what happened from there? So I got to the hospital. He put me in a wheelchair because I just couldn't even walk. And they were asking me questions and I was just sweating and wiggling and I couldn't, it was just bad. And they took me into the room. And the nurse was trying to talk to me and get my info and put it into the computer. And then I threw up. And when I threw up, my water broke. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I was like, 
man, this is, this isn't good. And she said, okay, let me check you. That was definitely your water. And I was uh, one centimeter dilated. And she said, we're going to do everything we can to keep your baby inside and give you all the shots necessary for, for him to survive and, or for him to come out healthy. Um, and they said, you know, that if we are able to stop it, <clears throat> then um, you're just going to have to be on bed rest in the hospital. And at that point, you know, we're, we're away from home, our apartment's empty, my partner's supposed to go back to work the next week. Everything was just rushing through my mind of, you know, what's going to happen. And um, I just had to try to stay calm. But it was very hectic. It was a very hectic moment. I was throwing up everywhere. Uh, the nurses were trying to write everything down and give me shots. And they called um, a neonatal doctor in to give me an explanation of, you know, the possibilities of what could happen to my baby. And then from there, uh, it pretty much took maybe 10 hours eight to 10 hours for my body to calm down and relax. And they gave me a shot of magnesium. I, I believe that's what helps with, um, is that the brain yeah. development? Or, uh, normally they lungs. give a steroid for the lungs, beta methasone. Oh yeah. That's um, what it was. And then like terbutaline to stop contractions. Sometimes though they will give magnesium also for um, preterm labor. Right. So, so you I might have had all of it. Got magnesium. Yeah, I had so many things. And then because of COVID, you're not allowed to go inside unless you show that you've been vaccinated or you have a negative test. And um, so my partner was rushing to find his proof of vaccination. And then uh, my sister was able to come too. So we had, uh, I had two people come to stay with me. And um, after everything calmed down, the I think it was the next day they moved me into another room. It wasn't the emergency labor room. I'm not sure if that's the right terms, but they took me to another room where things are a little more calm. Yeah, probably to like an antepartum, like high risk OB area where they would just kind of keep monitoring. Yeah. And um, so that is it. I think it was the day that I got there, they were giving me options of painkillers. And in my, I had planned to not do an epidural. So in my mind, I was like, no, I'm not going to do an epidural, especially if there's a chance I could keep him in longer. So I rejected the epidural. Um, and it was just getting really bad. I think it was the next day where they offered me Nuvane. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, Nuvane. Yeah. And they said that it shouldn't affect the baby or just, just a little bit, that it might affect his heart rate. Um, so they gave me that to help me rest. And, and yeah, so I just ended up having contractions for seven days. I was on bed rest. So you were at the hospital having these contractions for seven days? Yes. Oh, wow. And the hard part was, I just remember looking at the monitor, becoming obsessed with the monitor and my baby, because I was just so afraid for him. 
and being in pain the whole entire time um, and not being able to stand up, stretch, um, because they said if I were to stand up, there's a chance the umbilical cord could come out and that wouldn't be good. So my family was, I had different family members visiting now that I was moved to the other room, giving me massages, changing my bedpan, trying to calm me down. Um, and I definitely wasn't really sleeping. And I just knew, I just felt like something was wrong. There was one night where the new vein stopped working. And I told the nurse, I think, I think something's wrong because this isn't working. And and they couldn't read my contraction. So they kept moving. Uh, what's it called where they put on your, the belly? Uh, there's like the ultrasound part for the baby. Then like the toco is how we measure contraction strength. Yeah. So they were moving that around trying to find it, but they couldn't. And I wasn't really sure. To me, it was just like, I was telling them I was in pain, but they couldn't find it. And I I didn't know how to explain, but I still feel this. I'm not making it up, you know. I right. feel it in my lower back, which my mom said that's where she felt her contraction. And I totally forgot to mention that the first, the second day, um, the magnesium, I think, affected my lungs mm. because I wasn't able to breathe. And I told the nurse, and but she, she couldn't read it on the monitor either. And um, my breathing got worse. And the next day I had uh, really short breaths. Like it was hard to talk. And then I started having a cough. So they brought in teams to give me x-rays on the chest. A pulmonologist came, a cardiologist came. And um, at first they said that I might have a partial lung collapse. Wow. And then um, the cardiologist diagnosed me with pulmonary hypertension. Mm. And the reason the nurse couldn't read it was because they had the wrong cable connected to that machine. And once they switched it, then they were like, oh, yeah, you're not breathing. (laughs) So it was just really frustrating because I just felt like people weren't listening to my symptoms and depending on the machines more. Right which I understand is, you know, that's the job and that's how you can get accurate measurements. But it was frustrating when you're going through that. Mm. And um, so I was just nervous. What if my baby comes and I'm in labor and I can't breathe? Um, And they gave me oxygen. They gave me, um, I forgot what it's called, where you breathe into it and it helps you practice your breathing. Incentive spirometer. Yes, that. So I was doing that, I think, every two to three hours. Mm. And um, while at the same time having contractions. And it was very, a very traumatic week. So my breathing finally got better. And the doctor came in and she started pressing on my belly. And it was very painful. And she said you have an infection. You definitely have an infection, which might be contributing to the pain. And we need to get this baby out. So then they gave me Pitocin and I was 
I was done at that point. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to have my baby. I kept him in for a week. Hopefully everything's worked and he's going to be okay. And, um, and then I decided to go ahead and get an epidural because I just wanted to make sure that I would be okay and I could breathe and get him out and have the strength to get him out. So they gave me an epidural, they moved me back to the labor and delivery room. And, and then we were just waiting. Um, but the baby did not want to come. And then, so I had an epidural in, a day passed, nothing. I was at three centimeters pretty much uh, the whole week. Wow. Yeah, and um, and then the epidural stopped working on my left side of the body. And how long had you had the epidural when it had stopped working on that one side? Um, it was about a day. Okay, and you were still three centimeters at that point? Yeah. Okay, so what did you guys do next? So then we told the doctor um, and they had to take it out and put it back in, do another epidural. And um, same thing, it wasn't working. And then they started giving me, they said that my body was metabolizing um, the, the drugs that they're giving me. So then we figured out, okay, the epidural works for, I think it was two hours. So every two hours, we're going to give you, um, is it a booster of, ep- of epidural? We call it like a redose at my hospital, but they probably do call it other things, other places. Right. So they would give me a booster and then they would give me new vein and then they would give me a booster and then they would give me new vein. And it was just, it was, I, it was horrible, especially because I didn't even want to have any drugs for my, yeah. And, um, one nurse ended up giving me morphine and it helped me sleep for, maybe four hours and it was it was amazing to just have a little bit of rest right yeah so then that day that they were giving me um the new vein and the epidural every two hours the doctor decided okay we have to do an emergency c-section and what um, was the reasoning because you were still three centimeters or yeah I was still three centimeters and they still couldn't catch all of my contractions um but we were timing it and they were like every five minutes every three minutes back and forth they're pretty consistent so then yeah I was excited to finally just I guess you know I have to have a c-section at this point you know we just need to do what we got to do so then we're in the in the room my partner's kind of sitting behind me and I could still kind of move my legs. Um, and they said, okay, we have two hours before she starts feeling everything. So um, yeah, they gave me the booster shot and then they went into surgery and um, I could feel a lot of pressure and I could still feel a little bit of my legs. Um, so it was, it was kind of an intense feeling and um, they didn't want to put me under, but I was pretty close to, so I was just out of it. And turns out that my fibroid had detached itself. 
and was blocking my cervix, blocking the baby from coming out. And every time they were checking me, they were feeling the fibroid, thinking they were feeling the baby's head. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so my baby came out. He was healthy. He was breathing on his own. Um, And then my partner left with him. And then I just remember being super out of it. And I couldn't talk. And everyone just kept looking at me, checking on me and putting warm towels on me. And I was hemorrhaging. So they called the doctor back and she said, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to push on your belly to get this blood out. And it was so, so painful. Um, and there was like, I felt like there was 20, 30 people surrounding me on the bed and just staring at me. And I was really nervous. And I felt like this, this must be really bad, but I couldn't really talk. And um, I remember a nurse saying, what type of blood is she? And they said, oh, negative. But I knew I was O positive and I couldn't talk. And I was like, no. <laughs> but then someone said, no, she's O positive. It was just really hectic and fast. I could see them moving really fast. And I guess I lost over two liters of blood. Wow. And um, yeah. Did they end up giving you a blood transfusion? Yeah, they gave me a blood transfusion and um, the doctor put in, she inserted a balloon um, to stop, to to put pressure where, I guess, where the fibroid had detached, that's um, where the source of bleeding was. And I also had um, my placenta kind of was in pieces because of the infection, I guess. And they had to, they were scraping it off. So that could also be where the bleeding was. It was just a lot of things going on. And um, so once she put the balloon in, it slowed down and they um, they did an ultrasound to check to see if maybe there was a big piece of placenta that they missed, but they couldn't really see because of the balloon. So um, I was pretty stable at, at night and they moved me to the mother baby unit and and I just started pumping and getting ready to give my baby milk and I thought everything was over and my partner was there and he was showing me pictures of the baby because I I didn't have a chance to see him yet and um the doctor came in that night no it was actually the next morning and I had a catheter in my bladder and um in my vagina and they could see the blood coming out and he said that there's still too much blood coming out and that um, we're going to have to do something so he gave me two options and he said we could do an emergency um, hysterectomy or um, do an embolism I forgot what the term is for the exact embolism but basically he wanted to stop the blood flow to my uterus. And I, I just, I definitely didn't want to go into surgery again and he didn't want to either, especially because of what was going on with my heart. So we, we decided it was best to just do the embolism. Um, so yeah, that was the next day and we had to do it quickly. And um, 
it was pretty scary because I didn't know really what it was. They said that there's a chance I can get pregnant again in the future. And, and I didn't want to be in pain again after that week. But it was super smooth. The team was great. They had music playing and, and fans on. And it just felt relaxing. And I didn't even feel them go into the vessel. Um, you probably have a better way of explaining this than I do. But yeah, they just went through my groin um, and put in a dye to see where the blood was coming out of. And then they put like a gel at the source. I truly have never um, experienced or like had that have to happen um, to one of my patients as a labor and delivery nurse. So I really cannot explain it any better than, <laughs> than what you are. Okay. Yeah. So they said that it was, it would be very painful afterwards um, in, in my groin and that it would be hard to walk. And they said it would last about two weeks. Mm. So um, everything went great and they took me to ICU and um, they said, okay, in two hours, we'll take the balloon out and see if it worked or if we have to give you another blood transfusion. So I'm laying in bed and the doctor comes and pulls the balloon out and everything was great. And then they said, okay, we're going to give you this drug um, called Dilaudid to help you with the pain. And so I was feeling relaxed, like finally everything's good. And they give me Dilaudid and frozen platelets. Yep. And then I had an extreme allergic reaction. No. <laughs> yeah. I first said my head was itching and I was, I just started scratching my head and I said, I feel really itchy. And then I pulled down my gown and looked at my chest and I had hives everywhere. Oh. And then my lips just started getting super swollen. And the nurse called the doctor in right away. And then I just couldn't talk and I felt my throat closing up. And they gave me Benadryl and they were talking about giving me um, an Epi. Is that what it, an Epi pen? Yeah. But he decided not to and just kind of waited it out with me. And yeah, my face just looked like I had been in a major car accident or it was it was bad every time you like throughout your story you think you're turning the corner you have another obstacle waiting for you exactly you really do yeah I yeah I was just like what what's next right so that night was kind of rough because I was super itchy for for hours for days actually but um they just had Benadryl for me and, and they offered to give me morphine, but I just said, no, I didn't want any, any more medicine, any more pokes, any more drugs. Like it was just, I was over it. And I just said, you know, I'll just take whatever I have to do. Um, Cause I was scared of any weird reaction I might have. And my feet were really itchy. And they just put ice and cold towels on it. And I just really wanted to meet my baby because that was day two of not seeing him. So um, that, yeah, the second day after I gave birth, it was the morning and I had that procedure. I asked the nurse, like, can I please see my baby today? And she said, let's, let's ask the doctor. So my doctor came in and she said, yeah, let's get you out of this bed. You've been in this bed for nine days now you know, let's get you walking and so you could go see your baby and start producing milk. 
Um, and yeah, my, my partner was there when I got up out of bed for the first time and it was very difficult. Um, but I was determined to see my baby and happy that it was over. Yeah. So I, it sounds like you experienced almost everything you possibly could surrounding labor and delivery. And I'm sure that healing journey, I mean, from the start has probably just been a lot, um, after, you know, everything that you went through, as far as even just the emergency C-section and then having to go back and have the embolism done. Um, and so now going into like your NICU journey and seeing your baby, what was that part of labor and delivery delivery like? Um, it was very emotional. My partner um, wheeled me in in the wheelchair. And normally because of COVID, only one person can go in at a time. But because of my case, they made an exception so we can both see him together. And um, so you have to go um, scrub in and make sure you're really clean, your arms and hands. And you have to wear a gown. And then they had like, four different rooms, um, depending on the level of severity the, the baby's in. And so my baby was kind of in the first rooms of super preemies. He was two and a half months early. And it was, I just started crying when he wheeled me in. It was, it was just so amazing to finally meet him. And after what we had been through, we were both gonna be okay. Um, he was super tiny, three pounds and 10 ounces. Um, but for them, or the doctor said that for his age, he was actually a good size. So maybe all that fruit and nacho cheese really helped. Um, and well, I had an eight pound, 11 ounce baby and I ate a lot of cheese. So it's probably the cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just the beginning of our NICU journey. I never really thought of how many preemie babies there are. You know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and try to prepare myself for my birth, but I feel like I didn't really notice or see stories about the NICU. And it's definitely an intense, sad place you know, it's, it's just like a scary environment where it's really quiet and parents are in there hoping that their baby's going to be okay. Um, you know, every night is very challenging, not being with your baby and not knowing, you know, what's going on. Is his breathing okay? Or what medicine does he have to take? And it's just very, it's very challenging. How long total would your guys' NICU um, stay? Well, he's still there. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I gave birth September 18th. Okay. And um, his due date was November 26th. So we're getting close. Um, it's been 42 days now. Okay. And so we just, you know, every day we just have breakfast and head over there and spend mm -hmm. hours. Um, and you said, and we, is, is he at a NICU far from where you live? Yeah, we're still, we're seven hours from home still. Oh, wow. Yeah, and we had so many friends come out to help. My friend drove to our apartment and got our car seat and all these things that we had prepped and pretty much had another friend drive it down to us and drop it off. So I got my 
my um, labor, uh, what do they call it? The bag that you have everything prepped for labor. Yeah. I was still able to have that with me at the hospital because my friend. And then I had another friend pick up all of our house plants and another friend check our mail. <laughs> yeah, every, everyone's really support, just yeah, a support supporting person. us. Yeah. Support person or support like system is everything. So that's amazing. Yeah. How is he doing in the NICU right now then? How, um, you know, how has that journey been thus far? I know you said, obviously, you know, it's hard. Like you said, you wonder, you know, is the breathing okay? What medications are they giving? It's just a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's not an awful environment, but it's just, it's, it's obviously like a medical environment. So it, it does make it a little bit harder. Um, how has mm-hmm. he been doing? Um, he's, he's doing great right now. Overall, really, he, he did really good. He did have to go on oxygen. Um, after he was born for about five days, he was breathing on his own, but I think he just got too tired. So they put him on oxygen and, um, he, it's a little bit anemic and they, they've been giving him extra calories with my milk to try to fatten him up and um, calcium, just things that they said that are um, normal for preemie babies. Um, and then they have a feeding tube. So every three hours they feed him through the tube. Um, but he's overall really, we're really lucky. He did really well and at this point, all he has is the feeding tube. They have it through his nose down to his stomach. Right. Um, but when he, before that, it was going through his mouth. Mm-hmm. But because now we're practicing um, nippling um, with a bottle, they put it through his nose so his mouth could be free of everything. Gotcha. That's awesome. That's a big step even right there. Yeah. Is there Um, anything else from your like NICU journey that you want to share or that has kind of stood out to you? um, I think, well, every, every shift he has a different nurse, you know, and um, it could be challenging um, communication. You know, there's just a lot going on and nurses have to take care of like so many babies at once. So I'm very appreciative of the medical team. Really, that hospital is amazing um, compared to what I had back home. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing place just to see the work that they do. And, you know, babies that have to go on ventilators and surgeries. It's, it's just pretty, pretty cool to see them just keep growing outside of the womb. Yeah, it almost um, sounds like in an odd way, you know, being seven hours away was somewhat of a blessing because like you said, this hospital, yes, it's seven hours away, but um, it's much better than the one back home. And especially with, you know, a baby that's that's premature, you definitely want them to be at the best place. Exactly. Yeah, we it was definitely a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess one thing I did want to say is that you know, I hear this a lot to advocate for yourself, but sometimes um, it doesn't work. You know, I, I tried really hard and especially, you know, for women of color um, and the black maternal mortality and morbidity rate in this country is, is really high. Um, I think that there's a lot of neglect that can happen 
Um, and just, just listen to your body, listen to your gut, you know, the whole entire time I knew something was wrong, even while I was in labor, something was wrong. And, um, sometimes just machines or, um, I guess just things that people are normally what they're used to in the medical field might not always be accurate because like you said, everything bad that could happen did happen. And it was kind of a rare situation for me, but I knew the whole time, you know, something, something's not right. Yeah. You definitely have to like go with that gut feeling that you have because no one knows better than you in your own body. Exactly. And how has postpartum healing been for you? Um, it was, it's been pretty long. (laughs) I'm going on my seventh week. Um, but I'm doing great now. It was, I I was bleeding a lot and, um, just in pain. I had the double pain of C-section and the embolism. So I felt it in my groin, my legs and my uterus, but I, I've been pumping like crazy and my uterus shrunk pretty quickly. and yeah, just walking, getting up out of bed could be challenging and you can't bend down. Um, so I kind of have like this stick, like a tong stick that my mom gave me to pick things up when I drop it. And I'm really clumsy. I've realized now that I can't pick things up and I have to have everyone else help me. But um, I'm doing good now. That's awesome. And lastly, do you have like a, I know you just said like advocate for yourself, but is that like your top piece of advice that you would give another mom? Yes. I think advocate for yourself. Don't accept neglect. You know, if you have symptoms, be persistent. I really, as sad as as it is, we depended on Google and even I'm not going to say that that's accurate, but I got the most information from there because I due to what I had, my fibroid and everything that I read, it did say that there's chances of preterm labor, there's chances of losing your mucus plug. Um, And every doctor that I saw just kept saying that everything was normal and they didn't prepare me for any of this or mention any of this. So, and I also live in a super small town that's 92% white and, um, my partner's black and I'm Puerto Rican and Ecuadorian. And I just felt like, you know, I, you don't want to think that ever, but it's definitely um, an issue in this country that that neglect is, is definitely there. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree that that is why there's such, I think, especially when it comes to like maternal health, there's been such a recent, like, um, spotlight put on that and just like mm-hmm. a new awareness around it. And I think that it's, it is very true. And it's amazing that it's becoming something that's talked about so, so much more. Yeah, exactly. Well, Natasha, yeah. thank you for um, coming on the podcast and just sharing your story with us. Um, I would love to know how the next few weeks progress. Did they give you like, I know the Nikki will never give you like an estimation, but have they kind of hinted at any time when you guys might get to go home? Yeah, we, I think it'll be in a week or two um right now the the last thing it's kind of like a test that he has to pass is um finishing his bottles um i think 24 to 48 hours in a row just finishing every bottle so that he doesn't have to depend on the feeding tube and so once he does that 
he gets to come home. So we're practicing that right now. That's amazing. That can be so soon then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we, I'll definitely be keeping you in my prayers. And like I said, I would love to um, get a little update. Hopefully you guys will get home soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.